Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. With your featured host, Shaw McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern-day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. <laughs> Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Shaw McCain. Hello, everybody. It's Shaw McCain, your uh, interviewer and friend across the world. I just want to say hi to everybody near and far. And I'm so excited about tonight. We have a very special guest. And I'm going to read you a little bit of his bio, and then we're going to have him on, and we're going to introduce him. Jeff Mudgett is a lawyer and a former commander in the U.S. Naval Reserve. And he thinks that his great-grandfather, H.H. Holmes, was, in fact, Jack the Ripper. Mudgett based his assertions on writings in the diaries that he actually inherited from Holmes, which is detailed Holmes' participation in the murder and mutilation of numerous prostitutes in London. And also his, uh, uh, you know, we'll go into that story later, but uh, he feels that the man who died in public hanging actually was not his great-great-grandfather, but that he tricked someone into taking, going to the gallows in his place. And these shocking twists of the well-known Murder stories of Holmes and Jack the Ripper are detailed in his book, Bloodstains, and can be seen in the history's eight-part series, American Ripper, which I watched all over again. And anyway, I provided a link for uh, uh, go straight to his book. And without further ado, I'm going to welcome my guest aboard. Welcome to the show, Jeff Mudge. You're live on the Paranormal and the Sacred. Hey, Charlene, it's a pleasure to be on with you tonight, and I've been looking forward to the paranormal and the sacred for a long time. Thank you so much. Me too, because I, of course, uh, like most of us, we've heard about the Jack Ripper story since we were young, and we were brought up on this gory stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was thinking about that. I said, I've been, I think I was brought up on Jack the Ripper, True Detective magazine, scary movies, and everything else. So we're used to the story but not quite the story that you have to talk about tonight. You know, and, and it's, uh, I, it's, it's, I've been doing, working on the story for years now, Charlene, and it's, it uh, goes up and down, but every once in a while something new pops up about it, which just, uh, just excites me that as if I've never been working on it before. And, and I'll go into that with you tonight with, with your listeners. But, you know, I just want people to realize that while I think I've already proven that, he's, that Holmes was Jack the Ripper, as, as far as writing the Dear Boss letter and murdering Catherine Eddowes, 
Um, the yeah. story of Holmes here in the United States, how he escaped his execution and put another body in his place and then moved west to California to live out his life, makes, makes the Jack the Ripper story seem tiny in comparison. Yeah, and, and uh, it's almost like uh, your great-great-grandfather was on a vacation and he just killed a couple people and they came back here and created his masterpiece. It's pretty horrible. You know, that's that's a good way to put it. He, there's, uh, and, you know, we'll, we can go into it as much as you want, but he went to London yeah. and he was reading the newspapers that were just covered with the stories of the first two murders, the Nichols and Chapman murders. And um, he just decided that he wanted to get involved. He wrote the Dear Boss letter, which, you know, we already forensically compared his handwriting with, and it came out 97%, um, and then went on to kill Catherine Eddowes, which he describes in the letter anyway. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing story, which, strangely enough, the people in the UK, Charlene, my, my book fans in the UK, believed my theory about Holmes and the Ripper, while many, many, many here in the United States won't, won't buy the theory. I believe you. I, I, I believe that you have found definitive proof that this is true. And I also was thinking about, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, is that when they found the you know, your lineage of DNA in the grave once you found H.H. Uh, H. Holmes and you're in his grave and it, he is uh, related to you, I find that uh, how some of that DNA could have been put placed in there. Like I was thinking about ways that this could be manipulated, and since he was a master manipulator, he could have manipulated anything he wanted to do, like a well, magic show on and that DNA is an interesting component of the whole story because, Charlene, right. the way history portrayed it in American Ripper has confused over two million people. And the, the fact is, Charlene, and I'm willing to take an oath and stand up and testify at trial, the DNA didn't match mine. And wow. the King's College they- has admitted it, and the University of Pennsylvania anthropologists have admitted it didn't match. But the way it was portrayed, you know, you're going to have to have somebody on from history and ask them that question. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I can prove the DNA wasn't a match. Wow. This is a, this is quite stunning because I, I've watched it over a couple times and uh, about this question of the DNA at the end. And so I, this is my curiosity. It's actually one of the questions I was taking a note because I want to remember it. Is that have you done, done your DNA and submitted it to any of the DNA companies to kind of track down your people currently? Oh, yeah. My father and I gave um, uh, samples, and the University of Pennsylvania selected the King's College in London, which is world famous for their forensic work. And, you know, I was there in the laboratory while King's College was instructing these, these famous anthropologists exactly the sample they wanted from the remains. They, they, they took exactly the piece they wanted, Charlene, and sent it in. And I was there when the results came back and the anthropologists gave up 
on DNA and decided they were going to they were going to concentrate on the dental records instead. So when that final episode came out, which for your listeners, I think the first seven episodes of American Ripper are some of the best American television ever. The recreations of him in London committing those murders is fantastic. The actor's incredible that was doing it. The direction is superb, everything. But that last episode was a chaotic mess. You know, you're you're absolutely right because it was really great. All the parts with you guys in it, you and Emerald Fox and all the investigators, and uh, you you really uh, were outstanding. And uh, then all the acting and all the, the scenes was beautiful. In the end, it was like a mishmash. I don't get it. You know, it, it, they fired the director. It came down to that last three or four days. They were still producing, trying to get it out before that, uh, that night's show. And I can recall when I saw that, that, that uh, their conclusion sprawled across the screen in blue screen, I called the anthropologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and I was, I was yelling into the phone. I was, what are you guys doing here? What are you what are you, what are you talking about, the DNA matched? I was there with you in the lab. And they both said, Jeff, 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 we're as shocked as you are. And, you know, that's why, Charlene, I'm hoping shows like yours and your yes. listeners help me. I think history should take another look at those remains. Let me go back on, explain the evidence, and I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll bet they'd have more people watching than any other show they've ever produced. We can hardly wait. I mean, for, to have this clarification is awesome because there's a much stuff to be done and discovered, and it's a story that is just going to keep going, I mean, really, because it's uh, endlessly fascinating to us. And um, I, I hope it gets to their ears, what we're talking about right now, and I hope they do a show because it's very successful, the whole – thing and I, I think your book is so fascinating and uh, I read it and I have to say that I had some peculiar experiences while reading your book. Really? Very peculiar. I know. Really? Good. Very odd. Okay. So let's kind of start for people that aren't aware of the story because uh, we're actually going all reaching all over the world too and I'm getting little notes from people everywhere, South America, Africa, the Sudan, the everywhere, in all different languages. But, you know, on Facebook, you can actually uh, translate it right there. So I'm able to talk to these people, and everybody's interested worldwide. So I hope we get this story straight. So why don't we go back to when you first realized who your great-grandfather was and the secret your grandfather was holding yeah, and you know, and let me explain. Uh, Bloodstains is based on a true story. There are parts of it which there were gaps in the story which I couldn't come up with, which I filled in with imagination and concepts the best I could do. So I'm I'm not here to say that everything you read in the book would stand up in a court of law. All right. Okay. But but the part about my father bringing my grandfather's fishing tackle boxes to me, and then he and I reading through what was left in the bottom of the boxes. 
and and all of a sudden understanding who our direct ancestor was probably and i don't think there's anyone that's going to argue this with me they might they might throw in hitler they might throw in some of those those names we all know about but probably the most evil man that ever lived certainly in american history and yeah. there you know i'm 40 years old and all of a sudden i'm hit between the eyes with this shocking revelation and you know i was practicing law i was uh, working in la and san francisco i was representing the bar pilots the uh, the guys that bring the ships into the uh, the ports whenever they'd have an accident i'd represent them with the coast guard so i had a i had a life going i had a career going and they were happy with my work but this changed everything so i set that all aside and decided there's too many legends, there's too many lore, there's too much lore. I need to find out what's true about this supposed monster. And, you know, Charlene, the more I research, the more help I develop. I have a team now of researchers. I have a team all over the country that, uh, that are specialists wow. in, in dental, dental forensics and uh, pathology, all those things. And every morning we have coffee over the phone and we go through the latest we've found. And it's amazing. So it's a story that never stops. And, and I tried to tease you and your listeners a little bit with that, with those posts I was putting on my Facebook page before we started. It worked. It worked because <laughs> you said, <laughs> I think that's when I started sweating. So you said there's a picture of you guys with an unusual gravestone. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, most of my work with home, Charlene, and most of the shows I go on with hosts, you know, that try to be like you, um, are from Illinois, are from, you know, Massachusetts, are, are back east, where Holmes, you know, he had a, he had a, uh, a syndicate, a crime syndicate. That's what the evidence is starting to yeah. show. He worked all over the country in all the major cities, and fraud was his game, mostly um, life insurance fraud using the substitution of corpses to collect money from women he had seduced, often when he'd murdered the husband. That's that was his mo, and it was a uh, it was the uh, you know it was it's often we we often don't know why because there's a man that was brilliant. He was very very smart. He could have made a career at, in medicine easily and instead decided to go this way. And it's, it's strange to figure out why, you know, he graduated from the university of Michigan medical school. He, um, you know, he, he, uh, he could, he could con any city government. He decided to the city of Chicago was, were like his pawns. He played them left and right. I mean, there was one, there was one fraud, Charlene, where he actually sold them gas, natural gas, after he dug under the street and tapped into their own gas line. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how he worked. So, um, you know, we, we started working on this. And my father, Charlene, has, has, he has given me permission to do this whole thing. And, and my family has backed me, most of my family has backed me up. When we did the exhumation for history, all of my family had to agree to the exhumation. The judge insisted on that, the judge in Pennsylvania. Yes. And 
uh, bless their hearts, they all signed off on it, although some had reservations, but they all signed off on it. My father and my uncle talked each of their children into going ahead with the project. So we had their permission, and, and um, but they all kind of laid back. They weren't sure about this, the world knowing about who we actually were. And uh, obviously, we're not, we're not something to be proud of. So my father called me up about a, two, three months ago, Charlene, and said, you know, I've been quiet about this for a long time, but I knew Clara in the Bay Area, uh, outside of San wow. Francisco, Vallejo, California. And I said, what do you mean, Clara? She lived in New Hampshire. He said, no, she lived in Vallejo for a while. And I said, there's no record of that, Dad. She goes, he said, well, I met her, and she was living in a house over the bay, a very expensive house. And I said, wow, wow, wow. So we started, my team started researching that. Then my father came back, Charlene, with another revelation. He had a picture of a black and white picture from a newspaper article of my grandfather and his brother standing over a grave in 1961 outside of San Diego. And it was a ceremony, a, you know, a burial. And on the headstone was two initials and then a name, H.H. H. Herbst, H-E-R-B-S-T, which, as all the uh, Holmes researchers out there and fans of Holmes will tell you, was one of his aliases in Chicago. God. Yeah, so because of my knowledge now that that exhumation wasn't him, now we have a photograph of these two brothers at a, at a funeral in 1961, which would have made Holmes 100 years old. And my father stating that he knew Holmes's legal wife, Clara, who more and more of the story, she helped Holmes while he was in prison awaiting the execution. He had her going back and forth between Pennsylvania and Chicago to pay his funds. His only son, the legal son, actually got the money from the Hearst Corporation when Holmes did his interview. So there's a, it's a tangled web that, that, that scene before the execution. So with this picture of these two brothers at this grave, we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time verifying the picture. We know where the grave is, Charlene. I know exactly where it is. Oh, boy. And we're very, very close to a revelation that's going to turn the entire world of true crime upside down. If what you're, you're inferring is true, this is incredible. This is you, uh, what, what you said stunning. is exactly correct. If it's true, it's incredible. You're exactly correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's so strange, but. And people don't realize how mobile H.H. H. Holmes was. He, <laughs> he was everywhere. Like, I was really thinking, like, how did he get the energy to do all this? How could he? And he kept it up from since he was little, you know, into his whole life till he was uh, so-called killed. 
You know, it was a lot of energy to put into. They say he admitted to 27 killings, but it may be around 200. And who knows how much scam and, you know, he had pyramid schemes on pyramid schemes, you know. And as you said, he was brilliant. And I think that there's other things at play here that I was going to ask you about. I'm a little worried to ask, but. No, go ahead. No, are you kidding me? The mati- I've, so- I've sold over 5,000 books in the UK. The questions I get from Jack the Ripper experts would, yes. would put your hair on end. Trust me, you go ahead. Okay. Um, I feel like, this is what I feel, is that um, I have, uh, I'm at the end of a career. I'm a forensic uh, counselor. So I deal with uh, prisoners and, uh, you know, the criminal mind. I know a lot of my people are, are good people. However, I knew that one day it came to me. I remember I was in my office and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to meet the devil. And I just was almost like I got a little warning. You know what I mean? This is going to be diabolical, you know. And uh, so... I did. I did meet him. I didn't know. I'm not going to describe his crime, even though it's it's worldwide bad crime, uh, costing who knows untold millions of, of dollars. And he worked the whole justice system. He had his own private uh, visiting room in the prison, his own cell, his own food, everything catered to by everybody. He went to the halfway house, so now he's coming towards my territory. You know what I mean? So I have an okay. office, but I see them at they're at a federal halfway house. This is all federal. So he came to me, and it started with the first three words, and I had a flash about this guy. I said, why aren't you here at your appointment? So I called him at the halfway house. He said, I don't know. I'm just a poor prisoner. And I actually read him in those few words. I knew that he had his master's or higher that he was a master manipulator, and I was going to have to beat him. For six months, I beat this guy. <laughs> and he was a, a lower power. I'm sure everybody loved him. He, To me, when I looked at him, it made me sick, you know. Everybody else loved him. The women loved him. They threw money at him. You know what I mean? Really incredible. The halfway house got his own separate refrigerator with golden food in it. Everybody else has bologna sandwiches, old green bologna sandwiches, because we're talking Watts, South Central. And he's over there like the golden boy. And then he got to me, and this is what he did. Now, this is what, why I had a whole creepy, odd thing happen to me while I was reading a book. He was talking to me, and I looked at him. I knew it was, I was meeting him anyway, who it was going to be. It's going to be a diabolical thing, and this is a test. Anyway... He was modulating his voice when he was talking to me, and I'm looking at him. He had earplugs in. He was holding something in his hands, and I remember I told him, okay, you have earplugs in, sir? He went, yes. I said, get that out of your ears. Put your books under your phone or wherever you got, under your chair. And then I just read him the riot act from day one, and I, I told him, and when you come back, come with your real voice. He was so startled when I said that, he couldn't actually figure out what voice he was using to call the halfway house. He was, he was stammering. 
But what he did, he didn't care about anybody. He picked people's brains. He never he listened to you, but only to get information. He used everybody around him. He's trying to get away from me because I was the only one to call his number. So he called the head of the Bureau of Prisons to try to get away. And they wouldn't let him go. They said, well, they finally caught you. She caught you, didn't you? She stopped you. So when I was reading your book, that master manipulation of others, he even tried to hypnotize me one time. H.H. H. Holmes, was, was a, he prided himself on the hypnosis. When he sat there and was trying to hypnotize me, and I said, you ever do that again, I'm going to write you up and give you a new charge. And so he, he knocked it off. But, boy, what a war. It's like going to war with the devil. It's insidious. You know, that's fascinating because you're right. There were many newspapers, at the, you know, before he was allegedly executed, who were describing him as the devil and a demon. And yeah. that manipulation of human character, people that had never committed a crime before in their life were suddenly helping, assisting him in murder. And it, it, it shocked people. And, you know, that's why when I go on shows like yours, Charlene, people want to compare him to Bundy and Gacy and, you know, the Zodiac. He's not even close to any of those. This is a different, this, this is a different type of human being. One, which I hope, I hope, our science one day realizes and they study the difference so that we can recognize when another is about to happen because there'll, there'll be another, there'll be another. And um, we need to know how it looks when it's developing. Exactly. Because um, I feel that even his articles that he wrote to the newspaper, because he supposedly wrote his whole life story out in his confession you know, in his own writing to the newspapers, but he was busy with that, manipulating anybody that read it. You wouldn't even be safe reading his stuff, really. And Charlene, you know, we found, we found that while he was in prison, he was actually manipulating the prison superintendent about the execution, all right? He was actually having the scaffolding modified to his desire. He actually, we think we can prove he picked the doctor that gave him the, the required physical exam before the execution, and it was a Chicago doctor that he probably knew and worked with before. It was, it's amazing to see this superintendent just full, rolling over for a man accused and, and found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. And we're not we're not talking modern times. We're talking about this is the turn of the century. Very modest people. People didn't swear out loud. They had different customs. You know, there was a whole different sort of Victorian feel. So, but to have these same people manipulated into crime, to accessory into murder, to doing all these horrible things, you know, is stunning. And that's why I feel like it's diabolical. And you will never know. The people that I was treating never knew it because he and his people poured money on him, poured everything. He had finally worked his way into a job where he had two offices, two refrigerators. They gave him a brand-new car, tons of money. He always had women, tons of women. He even turned the, the clients on that the, weren't supposed to be doing any of this to women. I mean, really. And to me, I, I was looking at like a rat, 
Like, how can anybody look at this filth? You know what I mean? And he had everybody wrapped around his finger, and he could have cared less about anybody. And that's why it reminded me of H.H. H. Holmes, the same you know, kind that, of thing. It's hard to beat it. I mean, I don't think anybody did. They succumbed. I think what you just said was very accurate, and you're, all your, you know, your listeners should, should apply that when they think of Holmes. The wrapped around his finger thing was over and over again. He even had the judge in his trial wrapped around his finger. He had his lawyers wrapped around his finger. He had his witnesses wrapped around his finger during the trial. And it's, uh, it's, I, I would give anything to be able to go back and sit in that courtroom and listen yeah. to him actually cross-examine one of his, you know, they called it her a wife, but she wasn't. She wasn't legal. Um, that's why the judge allowed him him to, to uh, her to take the stand. But that cross-examination, you know, we all celebrate the one in A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise and, um, yeah. and Jack uh, Nicholson. This one would make that just 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 disappear and and go away. This one would really be something to watch on a movie screen. Wow! If they would take that down and really, uh, uh, there's something to learn from this because something that I know there's a lower power at work in this, but there's something in our world that is creating this type of person to this day. Maybe because this one I'm talking about, he's still alive. He's still operating. Yeah. You know, he's he's still being catered to and and all this other stuff, you know, but uh, it makes you, you know, people have to defend themselves against this kind of manipulation. Because when I hear it, it sounds like a, a brass bell going off, like a, a gong. You know what I mean? Because that's how I would able to listen to people when they're talking to me. So I'm supposed to be their counselor. So I'd listen, but if it all sounds like off tilt to me, like a, it's it's wrong, I'll ask them to please say that again, but don't lie this time. Just tell the truth because you're hurting yourself by lying. And let's go through this again. You know, because we had to get down to how are we going to stop crime in this world? You know, how are we going to stop people from doing this again? But I think in in Holmes' case, I don't think he had any concern of any of that. No, no, he didn't. He didn't care. There no, was he didn't uh, care. no emotion whatsoever. When he's when he's you know routinely brought up as the first quote unquote serial killer and the first psychopathic, they're they're right. He was he was the first right. man to have those terms used uh, to de- to define his character and his you know activities and. And they were right, but it's, um, you know, and then, and then Charlene, what's happening recently is, um, I don't know if you, if you've been following it, but, um, Hulu is, as, uh, is producing a television series now of Holmes, um, the devil in the white city. They bought it from, um, Leonardo and, uh, Scorsese. And yes, uh, it's, it's going to be, I would imagine next year probably would come out, but I don't know with all this, you know, the, the coronavirus going on, how that's, how that's delayed things. But it's, I, I tell the guys that I work with that there's 65 million people in America that 
are fascinated with serial killers, true crime, and H.H. Holmes. And that television series, if it's done right, The Devil in the White City, is going to set records across television. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And I, and I know I've been told that Leonardo and Martin Scorsese are still in somewhat control of that production and direction. So it'll be, it'll be fantastic to watch. Then, then I've recently sold uh, my book to a Hollywood production group who want to make a feature film of the book. And um, I, the other day I sent books to an investment group. And that, I, I can't wait to see how that, comes out that's that's probably two years away but what i've got on the near horizon that i'm excited about is if i can get someone at history to recognize what you what you did you know on the show tonight how good Mm -hmm. american ripper was except for that final episode and have them reopen the show and redo that eighth episode with the evidence i have we've got this is the evidence we have charlene the dna doesn't match the dental records were never verified, and in fact, now we have dental experts willing to state that those were falsified, all right? Those were part of the Holmes fraud, okay, about substituting the cadaver. The skeleton was too short, which the anthropologist admitted to me off camera couldn't be him, and then there's no trauma to the neck from a man falling through a scaffolding on a rope. And when you place those pieces of evidence out on the table, it's something that would have had, if there had been a defendant and there had been a murder trial and those were the pieces of evidence used against him, he would have been found innocent. And I'm just hoping, Charlene, that shows like yours, you give me the chance to go on and and state what I know is true, that someone at history or someone in television is listening and they realize that a reopening of American Ripper with the proper production of that evidence and that exhumation about who was really there. And, and they can put me on a polygraph, Charlene, I don't care. Yeah. But if they do, if they do it right, it's going to set records for viewership on, on history channel. And I, I'm just hoping it happens one day. I hope so too, because, uh, We've got to get to the uh, bottom of this. We've got to try get the, you know, because there's a, you know, I've been reading, uh, people are sending me stuff on this disinformation that's happening in our world and how uh, the past is manipulated so it affects our future and everything else. This is, this is one of the instances, well, this will affect a lot of us, the way we see the world. We have to have the correct information. Like, I, I really have been trying to get to the bottom of things lately, one of them was, is I wanted to know what Russia has, why they have so much interest in us. You know, like, what is the trip there? So I had to go back and do the whole, I did the whole timeline of Russia, ancient history, year 100, all the way up to the current time, you know, to get an understanding of why. It's because they, generation after generation after generation, they want to conquer. They want to own. You know what I mean? And, and cousin and brother will kill brother and Mothers will kill kids, and it's going on for, for thousands of years the same way. And it's, it's bloodshed. And there's a certain thing that runs through this whole thing. I'm not, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it, of why yet, but um, I think we've got a little taste of it now. 
Our world got shut down through a virus that's affected all of us, and we're all in this together, and this is another reminder that we're not in this by ourselves, and what one thing happens to one person affects us all. And so we need to clear up and have solid facts about everything, especially if uh, people like me and my listeners are interested in this type of thing, you know, and I think Leonardo DiCaprio would be great. Wouldn't he be yeah. great? At, wouldn't he be great in yeah. this role? You know why? Because <laughs> he's, got, he's got a dark side. I saw him in that he movie, did. Django Unchained, something like that. And he yeah, played yeah. like a southern. Did you remember that one? He showed a yes. dark side there I had never seen before. <laughs> and I think he, he could uh, actually he, do this part. He was actually interviewed about playing Holmes, and he said, you know, that he thought it was the role of a lifetime. But but then he said that he was a little bit concerned that he was getting older than the character allowed. And um, I don't know why he would say that, because he looks young when you see him on screen. And uh, yeah, he's young for his age, really. He's not yeah. aged yet. Because yeah. he was just but, in uh, that... Uh, Sharon Tate, the redo uh, with Quentin Tarantino. And I loved that movie. I know it was crazy and violent and everything else. The Bean was good. Did you see that yet? It was no. I don't know who's telling me. Um, anyway, it was the whole Sharon Tate story redone with a totally different ending. So if you want to see it, you've got to see it. But Leonardo DiCaprio was in there and Brad Pitt. And they played uh, two really great, great, crazy parts. But he they look young to me. You know, the, um, the thing that fascinates me now, Charlene, is this California connection. And what, what mm-hmm. I'm being asked repeatedly now, the same question. Can you guess what it is about the California connection? Okay, let's think about this. San Francisco. Okay, tell me. They don't understand how this monster, how this devil, how he could have been given a blank check by substituting, how falsifying the execution, substituting the cadaver and walking away, moving west. How he could have moved west and not committed the same type of crimes and been caught again. That's what comes up over and over again with, with, my, uh, with my readers and listeners as they hear me speculate on this California connection now. Well, what, are you, what is your answer to that? Well, for one, he was smart enough to have pulled off things without being caught but two he was also smart enough to maybe change lifestyles i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure he maybe he you know, maybe he figured that. that enough was enough and he decided to move on i think that's entirely possible because plenty of people did that they came to california seeking a new life you know that's why they came to california because a lot of they never imagined uh, Wyatt Earp or... Um, yes, excellent. Yes. Excellent. That's what I'm saying. So Wyatt he Earp is actually... He didn't come to California and a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. 
He didn't. Excellent. He's actually buried in a, in a Jewish cemetery right across from this bay in San Francisco. Why I knew That's is that good. me and my aunt, they lived in Vallejo. When you, when you brought up Vallejo, that was kind of crazy. But me and my aunt did a pilgrimage to Wyatt Earp's grave, and sure enough, there he is. You know, and people would so never think in a million years he's in San Francisco. He's buried in Vallejo, Wyatt Earp? Wyatt Earp, there's a, no, there's the, the place, it's actually a whole town with more dead people than live people. He's buried in that town, Coma, okay. Coma. So that's Coma. right across the, yeah, it's right across the, the bridge from uh, Vallejo. Vallejo is right there, and uh, I've been there, driven there many times to see my my uncle. So yeah, I went to school. I went to school in Vallejo. You did? The Merchant Marine Academy, yeah. That's right. That's my uncle Louis. Louis Simpson worked for the Navy. So he yeah. uh, was an inventor, and he worked on Mare Island. Mare Island, sure. So you know that area. Oh, like the back of my hand, yeah. I know. My Uncle Louie would take me there. He didn't even know. He would just say, take a ride, take a ride. He knew that area like the back of his hand. It's a very beautiful area. Oh, yeah. So have you been up there? Oh, yeah. I've been all over that area. I used to take uh, girls out on dates to the to the location where the Zodiac murdered. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Now, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. That's another story. Yeah, that's another story. I want to bring this up only because I had a bizarre thing happen. So I'm interviewing a lady that's written two books, and um, she's Jackie Barrett, and she interviewed the Zodiac Killer. So it's weird you brought it up uh, from the one in New York, though. Do you remember him? No. Okay, so he he was uh, he's still in prison. He's upstate New York, and so is the killer from Amityville Horror. She did two books, one on each of those guys, and she interviews them and she knows them. So I had was interviewing her, and a peculiar thing happened to me is that I picked up on something. Like when I was reading your book, and I don't know how much of this is true, uh, but you were actually having some issues with uh, hearing the voice of your great-grandfather and actually – having impressions of him and stuff like that. Is that part true? Yeah, but you got to understand, and I want your listeners to understand, I, I'm epileptic. So when I have seizures, and the doctor, the neurologist explained this to me, two or three of them did, that any visions or voices I see or hear during a seizure cannot be considered, you know, brought up and asked whether they're true or false. They might be, and I like to portray them as that in my book, but they also could just be another seizure. Okay. So, you know, what I'm asking is, is that if there is like a diabolical influence uh, that will, can come from wherever they come from, um, I believe that they can actually project themselves onto people and onto uh situations so what happened uh during this thing this reading of your book it, it sort of like uh was tweaking my brain because it reminded me of when i was doing that interview and i actually blurted out and asked her i said does your killer the zodiac killer of uh of, of new york 
was he able to project himself out of the prison? And I, I, I said out of the prison, can he pro-? she said not only can he do that, he actually knew I was doing the show, and he projected himself up the back stairs of her house and over here. It scared the hell out of me because I knew he was here. I had I had yeah. to shake it. You know what I mean? So I was reading that part of your book. I had to actually shake myself, and it reminded me of that little creep. You know, I can't re- – well, remember when they had the Zodiac Killer and they have a movie about him that they – it was sure. during that black – and all those killings were happening, and they called him a Zodiac killer, but he called himself that because yeah. he felt that he, he only knew how to do this because he had diabolical health. That's because he well, wasn't. I can, t- he I wasn't can tell you this to answer your. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go. No, I can tell you this to answer your question. That the part of the book where uh, my best friend and I finally obtained permission from the post office to go down in the basement at 63rd and Wallace in Chicago, the scene of the murder castle. Yes. When, when we went down into the basement and I write about the voice trying to talk me into killing my best friend. Yes. I can still remember every word. All right. That's, that's true. That's true, and I, I know the neurologist that told me that could have been a seizure. I doubt it. I really doubt it, and there's no way no, I could I prove it yes it. or no, but I can tell you this. That, that voice wanted, didn't want my best friend Kim Estes down in that basement with me at that moment. So, well, And I know the, the yeah. post office employees, many, many, many of them there believe the basement is haunted. Well, of course it is because there's certain uh, – plus there's, now we know scientifically that there's a residual memory for these places, that there's actually an imprint there. If there's not a, like a whole full-on – there's actually uh, – it's recorded in the walls and floors, you know. Have you heard I, that? I don't, doubt, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Well, you know how they realize that the imprinting is that uh, – uh, back in ancient times, they had making pottery by hand, you know, and they had the wheel and everything else. So some smart guy was watching this action, and he looked at the little ridges that were being created, and I guess he played some of that stuff, and you can hear it recording on the, you know, the background stuff. So then somebody else, um, brand deduction, came up with maybe it's recording, you know, like you take a picture and an imprint, or you lay photo something down and it'll make a print of it like a photography that's all done with like light and impressions and so the same thing i'm just saying that this stuff is 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 real some of it is actually a real part of nature it's spiritual but it's also physical when i talk to uh haunted history um and convince them to uh, have a an episode of us going back into the basement but with, you know, with the film crew, audio crew, the whole thing, um, they were excited about maybe capturing that, that voice and vision I'd had uh, the earlier time into the basement. And to tell you the truth, there was nothing on that show that came up. So when we went back for American Ripper to the uh, post office and tried to talk the uh, superintendent into allowing us into the basement with a, with a film crew, uh, they refused us entry, so we didn't get to go back down into the murder castle basement. 
it's it's not really the murder castle basement. The post office sits to the side of where the murder castle would have been, but it's it's connected, like you say, your connection theory. And yeah. um, they wouldn't they would and there were some original tunnels still down in the basement, but they wouldn't let us go in, and that's why it wasn't a part of American Ripper. Hmm. So what do you so so the next thing is uh, do you realize that uh, Herman Webster Mudgett's birthday is tomorrow? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? No, I hadn't really thought of it. Uh, very yeah, good. And you, and you know what's strange about that, Charlene? That's what? my brother's birthday, too. What? My brother. Yeah. Happy birthday, brother. Yeah, I'll wow. have to call Mark tomorrow. I'll have to call him tomorrow. Yeah. And tell him I said happy birthday. <laughs> I will. I, will. I, I don't know if he realizes the uh, the same dates involved. I don't, he might. I, don't, he I might. know. So, oh, wow. So there's, like, so much to... Uh, so much to talk about, so much to do. So I'm really encouraging everybody to please watch the show and please buy this book. You realize I have three copies of your book. I've got one on no. Kindle. I've got Why? one signed. I don't know. I just have to have them. I would have given. I would have given you the last two. Well, I couldn't help myself. So I got one. I actually got your autograph, and I have another one, spare one, because you know how you lend out a book, you never get it back? Right. So then I wanted one on my Kindle so I can conveniently just read it wherever I am if I just don't happen to have the book. Then, uh, you know, I'm I'm a, a, a huge fan of yours. I think you have turned something that could be so horrible and cruel into something that that we can all learn from. Uh, we can observe. If you observe this coldness, don't ignore it. You know, because when you were describing in the book about you know him sneaking up on people, he was definitely like a like a panther. He was oh, yeah. smooth, oh, yeah. smooth operator. Oh, yeah. You know, so smooth elegant, and pretty elegant, pretty dapper. Pretty oh yeah, elegant. He was dapper. He had fashion sense. He was handsome. Oh yeah. But you know that picture we see of him? That's actually his mugshot. People don't realize that. He looks that dapper, but it's actually a mugshot. It's not very it's not very dapper looking, is it? It's not. And um do we have a couple minutes left? do we have a couple minutes left? We can go actually okay. as long as we want. But I just okay. don't want to wear you out. So okay. Go ahead. I, I wanna talk to you about a, a something that happened while we were filming in London because um, and I and I'm I'm convinced, okay. I'm uh, I have no doubt whatsoever that my team and I we've proven that he is Jack the Ripper. He's the man that wrote Dear Boss, and he's the man that killed Catherine Eddowes. He didn't kill the other four, but he killed that one. And so while we were filming in London, Charlene, and it was the day after. President Trump was elected, okay? And and my film crew and the production team, oh, there's 30 or 40 of them. They, they even have someone that just takes care of the, my needs as co-host during the show. It was – I got very spoiled about it, to tell you the truth. No. <laughs> there's times when I miss it. It was a lot of fun. And Amaryllis and I got to be friends. Um, yeah. She's one of the coolest, coolest ladies I've ever met um, at CIA. It, she's awesome, and and you know, did you know? You know who she went and married after the show? 
Who? Robert Kennedy the third. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, you sent me pictures. You sent me pictures of their wedding at Hyannisport in this oh beautiful God. wedding. Beautiful wedding dress and they were barefoot in the grass taking their vows. I think I've even seen that, but I didn't realize the connection. Oh my God. Yeah. That's Amarilla. She's Hello, got a baby now. She's, she, she, yeah, just had a baby. Yeah. Aww. So we're we're oh, there in London. We're there in London, and um, the team, my team, they're all New York liberals, all right, and yeah. they all want to commit suicide after President Trump was elected. And so I'm they're in <laughs> they're in the middle of the lobby at, at the the the, sit, the cities, and I'm over at the bar by myself. I'm having a drink, thinking about the next day's shooting and what's going to happen. And um, Because to tell you the truth, the director and I, we didn't get along very well. And he never told me what the next day's shooting was about. And, and for me, that's very, very difficult. I, I need to know what we're going to do the next day. And he never would. So anyway, he was an amazing man, very talented, very creative, all those things. So I'm standing at the bar, and these two gentlemen come up to me. And they're dressing, they're in suits. Uh, they're they're uh, tight, tight, athletic-looking guys, 35 years old. And uh, Mr. Mudgett, we'd like to uh, um, talk to you. I'd say, okay, okay. Here, stand at the bar, you know, and, and uh, would you like a drink? No, no, we don't want a drink. But uh, here, and they open their coats up, and they have the, the emblem for this um, Scotland Yard. And wow. we just want to, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there trying to think, should I scream at the film crew to get the camera going or not, you know? And uh, I decided not to. So uh, they told me that you know, we've, we've heard your theory about uh, Ripper being uh, an educated American doctor. We don't agree with you, but we want you to know that Scotland Yard believes there was one or two copycat killers involved in these five murders. And I sat there and listened to them talk, and they were very frank with me, very open. And I'm thinking, that's a hundred, that's a hundred and thirty years of false narrative books yes. and movies about one man killing those five women. It's amazing. It's it is. It's a. I feel like you got a confirmation, and that. Uh, it, that really it's hard to come by for somebody to back you up, especially the the astonishing part is to have Scotland Yard back you up. You know, I mean, well, they didn't agree point. with my theory that it was Holmes. They didn't agree with that. So but they knew it was more than one. I mean, part this is all going to come out in the wash. You know what I mean? It's going to actually we got to find out who's in that grave in San Diego or wherever he is. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, know, I, I, I don't. I don't know, Charlene, if my family would go for another one. I don't know about that. They might not. They might not. <laughs> well, it's kind of horrible when you think about it. You know what I mean? How much can they take? We already dug up one grave. Now we're gonna go dig another grave in San Diego. But I tell you what. I tell you what. And I'm. You know, when you when you when you see the paranormal, when you see true crime, when you see the shows on TV, it's usually an author. That's uh, discussing a theory 
and they have recreations involved, and then a director and a producer make up some Hollywood, you know, baloney about what might have happened, what might not have happened. Our television show, American Ripper, involved the real thing. We dug that grave up. We, you know, we, we, we dug down and found an empty coffin, the first grave. You should have seen the looks going around that grave, Charlene, wow. as that empty coffin came into view. And we had the archdiocese, uh, the, the bishop, archbishop from uh, Philadelphia there. We had helicopters flying around. We had NBC News behind trees filming. And no one knew what was going on all of a sudden. That was empty. Well, I was thinking, wow. Wow, this is an incredible part of the story. We've just unearthed nothing. And Amaryllis jumps in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He bought two graves. He bought two. Dig over and down deeper. You know, she was ex-CIA. She, she knew this stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, so we did. We did. Once we firmed up the, the walls of the, of the, uh, of the uh, plots, because – there was bodies on each side of us and we didn't want it to collapse in on, you know, and disturb those people's rest. So the uh, history did an amazing job. They spent a lot of money. They, they, this was one of the problems with the show. They went way over budget on the exhumation, way, way, way over. And they were upset about it, but they couldn't stop in the middle. So they kept going and I got my hats off to them. They, they did a good job on that. And, so we, we dug down, and then we found that concrete sarcophagus two feet deeper than the empty coffin, which no one has explained what that means. No, I don't know why there's an empty coffin no, than a sarcophagus. I don't know. It was just Holmes playing games. I don't know. And um, he played a lot of games. Um, so they, they cracked open the concrete. It was too heavy for us to pull it out with the equipment we had there. And history didn't want to, you know, have cranes and, and machinery come in for that. So uh, the, the anthropologists, who were some of the most spectacular scientists I've ever met, they, they opened it up, and we see this, this body, and he's still wearing a hat. He's still got his jacket, and he's got his boots on. No pants. No pants. And no so we're pants? all looking at no pants. And there's, there was a million theories going around about that. And I don't know. I don't know. Um, you'll probably get some on your chat room, but uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, and mustache, he had some mustache left, which after 124 years is, or 120 years is kind of amazing. If you ask me. So we're, mm -hmm. we opened the concrete up and Charlene, this is one thing that the show couldn't portray. The most horrible stench came up that you can possibly imagine. God. There were people getting sick up on top of the grave. And these two anthropologists who have been inside the pyramids in Egypt, they were still working away, working away down there. And the director turns to me. And he says, Mudge it, Mudge it, jump down in there. I need you in there for the shot. And I said, I'm not getting in there. It stinks. I'm going to get <laughs> sick if I go down there. 
And I said, plus, I don't know. You guys were all talking about him having tuberculosis and all this stuff. I'm not jumping down in there. Well, you know who raises their hand and then jumps down without putting any equipment on or anything? Let me guess. Amarillo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's digging away with a big smile on her face and <laughs> grabbing bone and everything. She was amazing. Yay. But she's deep into forensics. You know, I'll do the psychology oh, yeah. of it, but I would not go in a grave. You know, forget it. Because I really don't like to hang around at graveyards. I really, uh, I don't know, I don't get it. Because my family, uh, oddly enough, want to actually uh, have picnics and graveyards. And my sister and my mother are still went and said, well, we're going to go down and have lunch. I went, where do you have lunch at? This is before this whole thing. And they moved to, actually, they moved to San Antonio now. But they wanted to go have picnic. Oh, there's like a a, a a gallery. But I already had my suspicions about what they were talking about. And they said, well, it's beautiful. I said, what are you guys talking about? And they talked about the graveyard, how beautiful the monuments were and the art and all that. I went, you're talking about a graveyard. I don't. I really don't want lunch at the graveyard. I don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wouldn't either. I know, but they no. do it. My mother thought it was beautiful. I remember she would go over there to the one over near the racetrack over here and go and have uh, lunch at the racetrack with the uh, at the grave right near the the Hollywood. You know the Hollywood racetrack or whatever it's called. Right you live in there, Redondo Beach. Yeah, I'm in Torrance. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm right there. I was, I'm, I've been in Hermosa for like 35 years, but I just moved a little inland. So anyway, there's a, yep, this whole graveyard haunting thing. Forget it. I'm just not, I'm not one of those because I'm into the paranormal, of course, but, but not that part. So anyway, um, I wanted to ask you another thing. Do you still have a little time left? Yeah, yeah, I got 15 okay. more minutes for you. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to know and ask you about something because I don't know if it was true or not about uh, the situation that happened between him and the church or anything. I don't know if that really happened. But I feel that uh, it reminded me of how the addiction process was kicked off. And I think he became addicted to the adrenaline or the rush or whatever it is, but he was addicted to what he was doing. You know what was going on there at the end? What was going on there at the end still hasn't been, I haven't had anyone really explain it to me or come up with a decent theory about how his conversion to Catholicism and his baptism, those things went on, went on. And then when we dug him up, Charlene, I don't know if you you ever got to see this. They didn't put it on American Ripper, and I still can't understand why. But we we came across a pewter cross, maybe a foot and a half tall and a foot wide, beautiful, beautifully done. And wow. on the cross, after his conversion to Catholicism, after his baptism with his legal name, but you know Herman Mudgett. Right. On the cross, on the cross, on the grave, on the concrete was, here lies H.H. H. Holmes. And I still think that was him wow. playing playing games a, with everybody. That's another joke. That that he would not, no, 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 that's another, that's not real. You're, you're right. I agree with that. I agree with uh, 
Huh. Very interesting. So isn't that, I was thinking, isn't that cool? How can, yes. So that's and why you tell really me. can't. You can, so you can read your whole, the whole, his whole uh, memoir. Can't believe probably one grain. There's probably a little bit of truth to a lot of lies. You can't believe anything he says about anything. But he had no, an no. ironic and weird sense of humor. You know, no one will argue with me, Charlene, that he was a pathological liar and a very good one. No one That's argues right. that. No one. Um, they all agree to that. So it's uh, when you, when, you know, when people want to take pieces of his, you know, confession that he wrote for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, he got yeah. paid $7,500 for that, which he gave to his son, who, who we can't find out what he did with that money, although there's a hotel in Florida uh, associated with the son. So uh, when, when, you know, when people want to take pieces of that interview and say, see, see, I told you about Holmes, and then in the same breath state, three paragraphs down that he's lying about something here that, that destroys Jeff Mudgett's theory about him later. I, I, it, 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 it puzzles me because these people are smart enough, Charlene, to know that this is a pathological liar. And while I'd like to be able to say, see, I know this part of his confession is true. I can't, there's no way to yeah. prove it. That's true. I think it was a, you know, I think you're absolutely correct. And, Wow, we've got so. What's next for you? What, what do you want us to be uh, watching for, and what's next? Well, this uh, the group I'm dealing with now is uh, they're uh, putting an investment team, an investment group together about the feature film, and yes. uh, they and they excite me mostly, Charlene. This way, um, Hollywood was going to make the feature film from The Devil in the White City. Tom Cruise was interested. He owned it for a while. Uh, Leonardo owned it for a while. Paramount owned it for a while. And they all grew puzzled. They also grew concerned that the story in The Devil in the White City is a two-piece story about H.H. Holmes and Burnham, the architect, who had nothing to do with each other. Nothing. I don't even think they ever met. And yeah. Hollywood, Hollywood couldn't come up with a way to put those two together in that book, in a feature film, in an epic feature film with $200 million spent in production, okay? So they, they kind of gave up on it, and they shipped it over to Hulu so that Hulu could make a television series about it, and it might be a good idea. So when these, these fellas from Hollywood contacted me, and said, you know, Jeff, we we love The Devil in the White City, but we think Bloodstains is the movie. We like the idea of you being, if you being contacted all of a sudden, unknowing about by this evil character, and explain that you're the next. We love that for a movie, and that they were the first Charlene that ever understood what Bloodstains was about. And yeah. so I'm very, very excited about their work. It's it's exciting, you know, and I, I encourage everybody to go out and buy the book. 
Um, how can how can people? Uh, uh, well, I found you on Amazon. Amazon is where I got all, all the books. But uh, there's many, many, many write ups on you. I even actually went back and read that article that you really, really like. Um, I mean, that article was. Uh, let me see. I can't remember it, but oh yeah, the Master of Murder Castle by John. Barto Martin. Go ahead and, and Google that because it has an excellent uh, yeah, story that's about good. that. That's you know, good. It is, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. So, cause, you know, we want to get the truth in all these matters. And I encourage everybody to support you. And uh, we love having you on the show. You know, what a delightful person you are. And you, you're so, uh, you're really kind of giving us really hope during this uh, shut in phase we're in right now because uh, you're making. Your pictures make us happy. The comments make us happy. We really treasure your friendship. Well, thank you very much. I I love going on shows like yours. Um, I've done a lot of them. And when I first started, I'd get very, very nervous about them. Now I just, I'm on with a friend and you and I are talking over coffee and I'm having a great time. That's what what I'm imagining. So uh, let's just hope it doesn't get too too hot out your way because, you know, the hot weather is kicking in right now. (laughs) So it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. And my air conditioner's old, so I've got my fingers Uh crossed, but I think this might be the year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, uh, we pray for your health and your happiness and uh, good fortune in the future, which I know is coming. And uh, God bless you and your family in every way. And uh, thank you so much. We're grateful. I tell you what, Charlene, thank you very much. And when I get some firm facts about the movie, um, I'd like to come back on your show and explain what they let me talk about to all your listeners. Oh, uh, we would love to have you back anytime. So you know how to, to reach okay. me. And if you ever need okay. me for any reason, I'm behind you 100%. I said I had your back, and I mean it. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and um, you stay safe, strong, and healthy with this thing we're all dealing with, too, all right? Yeah, I will. You take care. Very nice talking to you, and you know, thank you for being on the Paranormal and the Sacred. All right. Good night, Charlene. Okay. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this has been a mesmerizing show. Um, you know, I have a I have two hundred thousand questions to ask him, but that will be on our part two when we get the new information, and uh, we'll come in for another a round of this uh, interesting conversation. So, remember, Bloodstains is the name of the book, Jeff Mudgett, and uh, it's an incredibly interesting book. Uh, the writing skill is superb, and uh, it's always interesting. And uh, we welcome you aboard. So we are going to have another guest next Friday, and this is going to be UFO-related. So for all you uh, ufology enthusiasts, uh, alien dander, warriors, anything else, tune in to Mr. Dallas Michael Reese. Next Friday, 6 p.m., same time, same station. God bless you. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.